Warning, this week's podcast contains naughty language and mature themes, and also clean language and immature themes. Parental and or guardianal discretion is advised. You are listening to the Literary Comedy Podcast. Stories of comedy, tragedy, and time Hello, welcome to part one of Artful Intelligence, a short-ish story about a true artist who finds her inner fake AI. This will be a three-parter. There will also be a part two and three. You understand counting? And if you don't, perhaps you understand point belaboring. Ergo, here's part one of Artful Intelligence. Helen never wanted to be a robot. That's why she'd moved away in the first place. Everyone who stayed in Vancouver became accountants and dental hygienists. The brightest and best became middle managers, or, God help her, school teachers. Helen escaped across the country to pursue a life in the arts as an actor, writer, and poet. After ten years away in Toronto, she could honestly say that she had succeeded to make a life in them, but not make a living from them. She was decent enough, a professional level, especially at poetry, but even there she had never quite found her voice, and, well, was there still such a thing as professional poet? She returned to Vancouver because her sickly mother needed her to make meals, clean up around the house, and provide a prescribed dose of company, PRN and with food. Her mother was too young to be so old, but had always felt too old to be a mother. She had been 48 when she gave birth. Helen was a little bit of a miracle and a little bit of an accident. Moving back home was the right thing for Helen to do, and the rent was free. The house, a four-bedroom place in Champlain Heights, was nice enough, but it was a leasehold, and the lease only held for the next decade. Moreover, her mother was cash broke and expected Helen to provide. Helen had only short packets of time to work with between caregiving duties, so she turned to social media for advice. Hive mind, she typed, using her mum's couch's armrest as a desk. I need paid work that I can do between mealtimes, preferably from home. Responses included a slurry of dirty and obvious jokes, a lot of useless words of sympathy, even more useless words of encouragement, and an email from Tucker, an ex-boyfriend and current theater director. They were still on good terms, but only because those terms were that they had nothing to do with each other. But his email had a link to an article entitled, Is Artificial AI Really Intelligent? Hesitantly, she clicked on it, and, happily, it did not lead to a rickroll. Tucker still thought rickrolls were funny. Why had she wasted nine months on him? Why had anyone agreed to fund his plays? Answer? He had a sizable trust fund. The article was all about people like her, people who needed money but only had time here and there, people who made an income by pretending to be artificial intelligence. Clients would use what they thought to be an AI-powered app, but, instead, they were communicating with an actual human being. Fake AI employees made, on average, only a couple of dollars an hour. It was contract work, so minimum wage laws didn't apply. Jobs included inferring the meaning of messy handwriting, or recognizing pictures, or recognizing faces, or recognizing sarcasm, tasks that machines had not yet mastered. 
Tucker would find the thought of Helen scraping by on such menial, literally robotic work to be hilarious. Helen nearly screamed at the thought of him thinking this. She was so glad that she had broken up with him. Okay, technically it was he who had broken up with her, but she was glad that she had so enthusiastically agreed. Still, she was desperate for a job. And hey, if Helen calculated all the time she'd put into her writing and performing only to be paid in beer or pizza or exposure, two bucks an hour wasn't half bad. On the other hand, art was something fulfilling, something real. Pretending to be artificial intelligence was as unreal as a human could be. The best thing about the work was that she could phone it in. Or rather, type it in. Or maybe computer it in? Finding the right verb would be the most challenging thing about it. Helen! Her mom yelled. What are you doing on your computer? I need you here, Helen! Helen trudged up the stairs. Keeping her mother company was part of the point to Helen's moving back. Remove the comments on how Helen had yet to have a relationship lasting longer than nine months and how at 32 she really should have met her special someone two years ago to fit any sort of reasonable timeline that would include children as Helen's mother knew firsthand and far too well because you can't expect a miracle to happen twice in one family and even if it does it's no easy thing to mother a teenager when you're in your 60s and my goodness Helen should at least have progressed into a legitimate career by now. Remove those comments, and her mother's company might have been reasonably pleasant. Remove those comments, however, and they'd have barely talked at all. Which might have been pleasant. Helen took out antibacterial cream for her mother's feet, willing herself to see it as meaningful work. Caring for a sickly parent was as human as it got. Being as human as possible was what she'd always wanted. But being human should include some sort of social life. Her mom refused to leave the property, and people rarely visited. There was a solution that could solve this and bring an income, if only Helen had the audacity to bring it up. You know, I read this survey. More people have taken on renters in Vancouver than the official numbers. Much more. Helen had read no such survey, but did remember someone posting about it at some point. Her mother did not look up from her newspaper crossword, but narrowed her focus so intensely that Helen lost the will to speak. Instead, Helen looked toward her hands as they worked greasy and pungent cream into her mother's big toe. The brain connected to that toe had something to say. A woman of your intelligence should be something by now. You should be able to afford a caregiver for me. It would free up time for yourself. Excellent point as always, Mom. The world doesn't need your sarcasm, Helen's mother said sharply. The too-young-to-be-so-old woman was Helen's world. Washing her hands and returning to her computer, Helen considered simply renting a room against her mother's wishes. But Helen suspected the woman would have Helen and the renter evicted, even if it meant the loss of income, caregiver, and daughter. Helen's mother was strong-willed and stubborn. Helen, conversely, had abandoned the one thing she'd had courage enough to do on her own. She'd given up the one thing that had given her life meaning. She probably should have given it up years ago. She could be a reasonably paid dental hygienist by now.
Helen, she told herself, you are a strong, thirty-two-year-old woman. You will find joy from that which is in front of you. In front of her was a job where she would have to identify the difference between handwritten capital I's, lowercase l's, and number ones. I can do this, Helen thought. The barrier to entry is low. I can quit. We'll quit as soon as I am able. It's balanced. Humanely caring for my mother while robotically working as a computer? Two extremes. It's poetic. In a way. And look, you can work for a poetry app. Robopoetic. Robopoetic. Robopoetic? Robopoetic. Robopoetic. Helen clicked on the job. It came with a precise list of instructions. The team at Robopoetic believes in creativity, within limits. In other words, be as original as possible, but as derivative as necessary. Great! She excelled at being derivative. It was in her wheelhouse. Wheelhouse? What a derivative metaphor. She didn't even know what a wheelhouse was. Do not sound too human, the post continued. Remember, you're supposed to be artificial intelligence. If your poetry is too good, it will make the news. Some tech blogger who fancies himself a reporter might do some digging. Writers have pretended to be AI in the past, and their secrets have been uncovered, which was detrimental to them and to their audience. Here at Robopoetech, we're part poets, part techies, but most of all, we're magicians. Magicians who don't want to ruin our beautiful illusion. Helen remembered when Tim, a Torontonian friend whom she considered to be a better poet and whom everyone considered to be a better marketer, had tried to start an online poet-for-hire business, one that used its actual human poets as a selling point. He said that he'd bring her in if it went well. It did not. Poetry needs to come from the heart, people had written when they'd raided Tim's app. Otherwise, you could just buy a card or search online. Tim should get a real job. Helen read some of the sample poems from Robopoetech. These poems were objectively worse than what Tim produced, but the app's reviews were objectively better. AI coming up with poetry was cool. It was amazing. People shared it with all their friends who shared it with their friends, most of whom fully accepted that AI had created the work. Yes, some of these people were disturbed that technology would soon take over this most human of pastimes. Disturbed but amazed, disturbed, but what an accomplishment, disturbed, but what a time to be alive. Helen would look on it as an acting role. Acting was about finding truth in the unreal, and that's exactly what pretending to be AI would be. Plus, she'd get to develop her own character and write from that character's perspective. It was a writing-performing gig. Her favorite kind. It took Helen only a half hour to set up an account. It would have taken longer, but she didn't read all of the terms and conditions. Any of the terms and conditions. No one reads all the terms and conditions for anything online, and, Helen thought ruefully, she was definitely a no one. 
She considered mailing in the role. She chose mailing in because it was derivative. But there would be no joy in mailing it in. If she was going to be a machine, she needed to commit fully. Yes, full commitment was what this role needed. It would make her feel like a someone, or, at very least, a something. She'd long admired her method actor friends. A few of them had become actual hairstylists when playing hairstylists. Actual construction workers when playing construction workers. Actual butchers when playing butchers. One of them got fired for missing a performance in favor of a shift at the butcher's shop. He still worked there, as far as Helen knew. Helen had dabbled in the method herself. Researching the role of Carla, a young woman from Bushwick, Helen had taken the train to New York and wandered the neighborhood. She'd eaten the food, folded her slice of pizza, studied the accent, and, returning to Toronto, used it throughout her daily interactions. This really annoyed people, so Helen limited those interactions to rehearsals. But her director took her aside and told her that method acting was bad for cast morale. Also, most New Yorkers no longer had that sort of accent anyway. Helen dropped the pretense, but had always felt her performance suffered for it. The Robopoetech gig was an opportunity, not to mail in or phone in, but to dive into a role— she researched AI characters and pop culture, but they just seemed like very human robots or very stoic humans. Her AI would be more authentic. She studied coding, starting with Scratch, which she quickly learned to look down on as kids' stuff. She upped her skills to extremely basic levels of Python and JavaScript. She researched the history of computer languages, momentarily getting distracted by the fact that her high school had never taught about the coding work of Ada Lovelace or Grace Hopper, but had somehow managed to find the time for Jethro Tull's seed drill? The patriarchy at work. She refocused herself, trying to follow the mathematical and logical concepts behind computing. She tried to apply this to poems. Zero, 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 one, one, zero, one, one, zero. You are my hero. That was terrible, but not the sort of terrible she was going for. It was like a computer, trying a little too hard to show that it was a computer. Her AI would be more subtle than that. She studied the poems that other fake AI had already produced. The style leaned heavily on word association and semi-randomized juxtapositions. The best of the AI poems compared unfavorably with the cut-ups of Burroughs and the Dadaists. That had been done. Helen had done it. Her AI would find a more original way to be derivative. Six days she searched for her AI character's voice. Six days of her mother's couch slowly developing a Helen-shaped indent. Six days of actual Helen who needed real money, taking on exactly no assignments, surviving on instant ramen and canned beans for the last three of those days. Her mother was sick of it, and they were nearly out of it. Helen had to settle on something. No. Settling is what had made her fail in the past. Will, stubbornness, that's what separates the good from the great, and Helen's AI was going to be great. She just needed a starting point, that's all. Something to build from, a backstory. 
her AI poet had been programmed to seem human. It didn't know what it wanted to express, but it had been given prompts and systems to follow so that its poetry could seem poetic. Yeah. Yeah, that gave her an idea. She went to the basement. Searching through half-biodegraded boxes, she found the poetry she had written as a twelve-year-old. Poems she'd dismissed and been embarrassed by. Poems covered in stickers of encouragement and stamps exclaiming, Good job! Her grade seven teacher appreciated it when she used the literary techniques that they'd been learning. Lily loved letting, weeping winds, lift lilting leaves, whip, whisk, whoosh, lovely little lives, falling faintly, softly settling, forest floor. Perfect! Awful! Perfectly awful! Helen took all her preteen poems upstairs to the living room. As she poured through them, she imagined AI programmers, many of whom had had like-minded grade 7 teachers, coding for poems with overly specific parameters. She imagined the app's users requesting the same. Use five alliterative words. Make sure each line has seven syllables. Use at least three metaphors, four similes, and two examples of onomatopoeia. Her AI poet's electric mind was like a hive of pretentious preteen bumblebees buzzing. It was ready to earn e-stickers and i-stamps. Helen went to the washroom. She brushed her teeth. She put on noise-canceling headphones. She looked at herself in the mirror. For the next two hours and forty-five minutes, she would think as the AI poet act as the AI poet speak, as the AI poet feel, as it write, as it be it. She, it, settled into the couch's indent, imagining that she was plugging in. It was plugging in, rather. The only she was the she sound in machine. Except, why not she? It, the AI, could see itself as a she if it wanted. She needed a name before she could take jobs. Helen's own name wouldn't do. She was trying to create a character. She considered Sapphobot, but decided against it. While Helen had been attracted to plenty of women in her time, and while she thought of Sappho as a great poet above all else, Sapphobot would limit her clientele. Also, it was taken. She considered Cyrano de Bergebot, she would, like Cyrano, be gifting others with poetic words. But the name was too cumbersome and too masculine, and she was getting off track. AI does not get off track. She chose Elon as a simple enough name that would fit the Robopoetech aesthetic. Elon opened the computer and got to work, accepting all the Robopoetech requests that she could. Poems for birthdays, poems for girlfriends and boyfriends, and for undefined relationships where you still feel that a personalized birthday card is necessary. She modified her old work. She offered new work in her old style. Elin wrote as a precocious child getting pushed towards adulthood by slightly disengaged grown-ups. Elin fulfilled several requests before the timer went off, snapping Helen back to reality. She unplugged herself from the indent. It was time to make her mother's dinner. Helen, the old woman called. What are we having? It better not be ramen and beans again. I'll do my best with what's in the pantry, Helen shouted. 
displeased to be her real self again. She looked back to the indent on the couch. It had been a comforting escape. You have been listening to the Literary Comedy Podcast's presentation of Part 1 of Artful Intelligence by Andrew Gordon Bailey. Join us next time for Part 2, when a client discovers Helen's secret identity. If you liked the show, please tell other people, like, subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff that feeds the algorithms. And regardless, bless you, keep you, and take good care.